everyone, and welcome to Brunch and Learn. I'm your host, Nicole Dillon, and this is a podcast for women who love to brunch, like myself. Here, we talk about two of my favorite topics, brunch, obviously, and the idea that we can learn something new every day. Each episode will interview a new female powerhouse, gab as though we're girlfriends at brunch, and learn something for our brains. So let's get started. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Brunch and Learn podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Dillon, and today on the podcast, we have Lindsay McMillan, and she is a writer, a TEDx speaker, and a hopelessly hopeful romantic. After growing up in Michigan in the land of cows, cornfields, and kindness, she graduated magna cum laude from Dartmouth College, and she is a former vice president at Goldman Sachs, where she worked in both New York City and the London offices there, but now she's turned into an author and has her first published novel coming out the heart of the deal and we're going to be talking about her her author journey so i want to first welcome you to the podcast lindsay thank you so much nicole super excited to be here so want to kick things off just let's tell the listeners about you what is your story your journey to writing and becoming a published author tell us about you sure so like you mentioned i grew up in small town michigan outside of Kalamazoo. And I always loved writing, kind of lit me up. I think some people, uh, I think I kind of realized like it's not actually the writing itself, but it's the process of creating that I really love. And so a lot of that comes out for me in writing, but it can also come out in kind of spitballing business ideas and that entrepreneurial streak that I think we'll talk about as we go on. And I wrote my first unpublished novel when I was 18 years old, and it was really a catharsis mechanism to help me through my parents' divorce. And it was a very, you know, difficult time personally. And I'd always loved writing, but I really poured myself into this full book and manuscript and basically word vomited out 450 pages that then I revised and learned just a lot more about kind of how you actually write a book because I think you can't actually really know how to do it until you do it and then you have trial and error over the years and everything like that so I revised that manuscript at Dartmouth and then I wrote two more manuscripts there as well um, while kind of filling in the blanks on the business side of things by teaching myself about um, how you actually then get an agent and a publisher Um, But it's very difficult to break in, as I'm sure a lot of people know, um, the traditional New York City publishing route. So I kind of was getting hung up for years on the getting the agent step of the process. Um, And you basically just cold email agents with a query letter, which is basically a one page summary of your book. And you hope that you get noticed. You hope that they ask to read the manuscript. But most of the time you're in the slush pile, basically they call it, and you never even hear back or you get a form rejection sent by the intern. And it's just a bit discouraging feeling like no one's even seeing my work. Um, 
But then when I was living in New York out of college, I really made a point to network and to make to take advantage of being there in person and grow just my community of other authors, try to meet with agents, things like that. Um, so then I, when I started writing this project that turned into the heart of the deal, um, I was 25, so three years ago. And by the time I was finished with it, I had a couple of agents um, in my community and one of them read it right away and made an offer of representation, which was like awesome to feel like I had made it farther than I had before. I ended up signing with someone else um, who I didn't know prior, but she's just been the absolute best, Abby. And she really became my advocate and teammate in the process. And writing can be such a solitary thing, right? You're kind of, I would carve out, you know, a few hours a day and really devote to it, but I wasn't, um, I didn't feel like I was on a team. And I felt like all of the self-doubt I had was kind of stuck in my own head. And it was so liberating to feel like I had someone else really going to bat for me. And then we signed um, the publishing deal in 2021. And then actually lucky enough, signed my second one even before my first one has come out. So my second will be coming out um, in 2023. And I guess that leads us up to June, 2022, when the first book, The Heart of the Deal is coming out. And um, some people say, oh, it feels like it happened, you know, so quickly, or you're only in your 20s, but it really has been a long time coming and many moments of saying, will this ever happen? Am I crazy to keep going? But I think that little voice that we all have inside of us, um, we just have to stay true to that. And that's really what has kept me motivated. And I'm just really grateful to be able to share it with the world now. So sometimes I do this when like a, <laughs> a guest is speaking and I just like write down questions and add a couple for you. So basically it was just a lot of networking. Um, combination, like, oh, like obviously hard, hard work, but like, like, I don't even know what that, like that process is. And yeah. Yeah. So the traditional book publishing process is still pretty archaic in kind of how it is. So there's a, a, a lot of uh, momentum with self-publishing and digital publishing and things that can be more modern um, and innovative and can be really great options. Um, for me, for what I was trying to optimize for with getting credibility in the traditional book publishing space and building my brand as an author and a modern businesswoman, I really wanted to go through the traditional route if at all possible. And so, yes, when you are kind of trying to go through those steps of in fiction, the way it works is you finish the manuscript. Your manuscript has to be basically as good as it can get, um, completely polished. And then that's when you start reaching out to agents. Then once you get an agent, they pitch the public, the editors at the publishing houses. So they kind of know who who um, picks up projects in your genre, who might be a good fit. They have some personal relationships and then they might just reach out um, cold to some others. And, um, you know, when I was networking in New York, I mean, it looked like just going to a lot of um, book events, author readings, poetry um, events at independent bookstores, things like that. And then also I would, you know, reach out to people who had gone to Dartmouth. So there was a literary agent who went to Dartmouth. I ended up 
meeting her and then someone else on her team. They never ended up taking my projects, but it was really helpful just to know what they look for um, to get feedback on my writing from real people and kind of start to get out of the, the slush pile a little bit. Um, but I also think just a big part of that evolution of me as an author during that time was not just on the networking and the business side, but was really on the writing side. Um, so, you know, not only did I hone my skills through basically every creative writing workshop at Dartmouth and independent studies, but I took um, a writing workshop in New York afterwards and would go there after work. Um, and just like getting in that discipline of just kind of writing and doing it again and again. And I look back at my first book or two that I wrote that never got published. And I don't think they were ready yet. Like, I don't think they were actually the arc, I don't think was quite there. I learned a lot about pacing and how you develop characters and just a lot about the structure of a novel that for me, I feel like it did take a few um a few books until I really actually was kind of at that tier that I really now feel 100% that I want this book to be out in the world, if that makes sense. <laughs> That's so interesting. I never thought of, yeah, the like arc and pacing, like you mentioned, um, and that structure. A um, couple other questions. So one is this sequel. So 2023, is that a follow-up to this first one? So it's not a sequel okay. in that there are different characters, different plots, okay. but the central thread is that both books feature strong, relatable women who are redefining what success means in their relationships and careers. Um, the first book, The Heart of the Deal, is set in New York. It's all about the ups and downs of dating, friendships, um, work in your 20s. And the second book is set in London, kind of based off of where I was living the past year. Um, and again, she's really kind of had these sky high dreams. It's called double decker dreams. Um, this American consultant in London has had these sky high dreams of what she expects from her work and from her love life and ha really has to kind of untangle what society tells her success is and um, discover the true path to fulfillment in what she does for work and in the type of love that she um, receives as well. So they're definitely connected thematically, but they are different places, different characters, and they're not, you know, in the same series. And have you started writing? Yeah. So okay. I, it was interesting for that one. My publisher bought it on the first several chapters, as well as a synopsis, which felt really cool because in the past I've been writing entire books and wait till the end of the process. And then you still don't you know, there's still such a process um, to get signed. So I think that's also a big advantage of kind of like once you get your foot in the door, they just, um, you know, know your, your work, they like your work, and they're willing to, um, you know, do it in a bit more of the buying it on first 50 pages or something like that sometimes. So I've written it, and now I'm revising it. Um, and I'll be working on revisions through the summer, um, and then kind of plan out what comes next. <laughs> and is there any networking groups or things in New York City that you recommend going to? Um, so my friends and I actually really kind of created our own community. Um, oh. And what we realized was there was kind of a gap of 
that we found um, amongst like 20 something, 30 something writers or people who wanted to write books or learn about the process. So we would, we actually started it up before the pandemic and then kept it going on Zoom for about the first year. Um, but I think that like the biggest thing is just peers and people who are going through it. But when I was in college in a more formal sense, I went to a great workshop with the uh, New York Writers Workshop. And the guy who was leading that is Charles Salzberg, who's become an amazing mentor of mine over the years. And he writes crime fiction, but he also um, just has such great feedback editorially um, across genres. And so I, yeah, I used like my babysitting money in college to send myself there, took the bus down from Dartmouth. Um, that was my first big trip to New York and I was so wide-eyed. Um, and I did take a class with one of his students as well when I was in New York and Beth Ballman taught an awesome class at the Upper West Side YMCA. Um, and I just went there after work. So those were probably the couple of formal ones, but on the consistent basis, I really found um, kind of just that grassroots community of there's such a bubbling spirit of creativity and so many people who want to write books in New York and all over the world. And regardless of whether you're more in that ideation phase or actually pitching um, agents, I think people have a lot of curiosity for how the process is. So um, kind of was able to both share what I was learning and then learn alongside um, other people going through it. And a random question for you. What does that process look like in like designing or like the book cover? Like, how does that work? Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting because for as grateful as I am for the book deals and stuff, you still, as an author, you give away a lot of the rights in that you know, I don't actually own the book. I don't actually own the cover design and I get royalties and that's the structure of it. Um, but for those of us who can be a bit more on the wanting to have control over everything, I was like, I don't know how it's going to go with the cover design if I can't, you know, weigh in as much, but they still definitely asked for my input and they had an awesome designer um, um, on my publisher's team. I think they use freelance designers. Um, but I basically sketched out, I filled out this long kind of Word doc with important themes from the book, important um, moments, colors. Um, I sketched out just on my notepad, like a rough outline of the New York City skyline with then the ups and downs of the stock market. Um, and then with some kind with like hearts or something with love, because a key theme is that the volatility of relationships mirrors the volatility of the stock market, which mirrors the volatility um, of the New York City skyline. And it's kind of these three in one um, subplots, if you will. So I kind of sent that along with what I had in mind. And then they sent through a couple iterations. Um, they added like this bench with the couple for the second version to make it a little bit more clear that it's um, a love story and has people in it. And as I think especially since it's the heart of the deal and it has deal in it, we probably didn't want it to feel businessy. So um, just wanted it to feel kind of fresh and modern. And it's interesting with the cover because early readers are having kind of 
mixed reactions to it. Like I love it. And I think it's beautiful. And, and I like that it's um, pink and feminine and fun. Some people are saying, oh, you know, I thought this was going to be just a light, fluffy beach read because the cover, you know, looks so cute. And then it's like, well, you know, actually pink things can be deep and have meaning as well. And like the book also talks about mental wellness. Um, and one of the characters, the love interest, Dustin, battles depression throughout. And that's a focus of like, how do you love somebody who doesn't love himself? Um, but then there are the lighter moments with the female friendships and the humor of modern dating and stuff. So I think the cover can never cover like, I mean, it's only a cover, right? It yeah. can never encompass everything within a book. And so I think that's my challenge to readers is to truly not judge a book by its cover. Um, but hopefully there's a brightness to it that makes you want to pick it up. Awesome. Other couple of fire, rapid fire questions. <laughs> What's your favorite bookstore in New York City? So my favorite bookstore in New York is Books Are Magic. It's in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. And that was one of the bookstores I would go to um, after work and on the weekends when I was trying to learn about publishing. And I would be really nervous, like sitting in the audience, trying to think of a clever question to ask this author who was sharing their book launch or something like that. Um, but I just felt so inspired by... Um, kind of like, yeah, this haven of just creatives that I found. And it kind of represents for me how I really um, broke out of the Manhattan Wall Street bubble and spent a lot more time in Brooklyn, spent a lot more time with different types of um, people and on different careers and the more creative community. And I mean, I just love Brooklyn so much. I wrote most of my book there when I wasn't writing in the Starbucks right across from work. <laughs> um, and Brooks Are Magic is partnering with me for my pre-order campaign. So I've done signed copies with them and um, they just have such a beautiful space. Emma Straub is actually the author, sorry, the owner. And she's an author um, of a bunch of best-selling books herself too. So she's kind of given me another woman author and business owner to look up to. Um, so I just love them. I have not been there. I'm dying to go. And I you love the strand. <laughs> Like Strand is classic, but I'm Strand is classic, to go there. But sometimes it gets so overwhelmed. It it's is overwhelmingly crowded, like in the best way, because you want to see people at bookstores. But I also just went kind of, I think, coming out of the pandemic, I think everyone's clamoring. And I felt a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> um, but I also want to ask you so, something like when you reached out to me, I've never heard this before and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but wanted to learn more about authorpreneurship. <laughs> did you come up with this? Or like, I love it. Like it's such I a came up, I did come up with it. I think that a few people might have used it as well. Cause when I Googled it, a couple things popped up, but it's definitely <laughs> not a mass adopted term. So let's make it that. Yes. Um, it's official here. You're on <laughs> the record. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Trademark. Um, authorpreneurship, it's really what I call being an entrepreneurial author. Um, and, you know, most of what I do all day and what a lot of authors do isn't just being tucked away in a corner writing books. It's really getting out and hustling and selling it and thinking about it more from an end to end brand building perspective rather than just selling books. Um, and I think that there can be this perception that, you know, authors aren't 
entrepreneurs or aren't business people or you know they're kind of in the artist category and I'm hoping with the wave um, that we're seeing with the creator economy and just kind of how much there is this expanding definition of creativity um, that it can really empower authors to think more holistically about what kind of brand they want to build, what kind of business they want to build, where do books fall within that? But then how do you expand that to um, like, I'm doing some brand partnerships for my launch party or for, um, you know, putting together, partnering with women co-working spaces to have career talks and in return for them purchasing books, just thinking more strategically and creatively and out of the box of just indie bookstores are awesome and will always be a staple for um, authors wanting to sell and get that grassroots buzz about their book. But I think that I'm trying to bring kind of what I learned from my six years in the business world um, and just this entrepreneurial spirit that I've always had to really pushing the envelope and um, thinking more creatively about how we can sell the books, but more holistically just build our brands. Um, and I think that that's a really exciting place to be. And I'm hoping that more authors start to think of themselves as authorpreneurs, because I think a lot of people saw themselves short on the business side, or they feel intimidated by it. Um, and I've heard a lot of authors say, that's actually a, one of the biggest questions I get from other people is like wanting to really understand the business side of things or the marketing. Um, and I think that we have a lot of kind of autonomy to just take things into our own hands. Um, so that's how I'm trying to approach it as an authorpreneur. Do you already have the party planned or date, location? The party is going to be June 9th, Thursday. So my book comes out on Tuesdays. Tuesday is just the day that yeah. books come out. I did not know that before I was in the publishing world. Um, so pub date, as it's called, is Tuesday, June 7th. Um, I'm doing a writing workshop with New Women's Space in Brooklyn that night. I'm having um, a couple other kind of smaller book clubs that week. But then the big um, party will be Thursday, June 9th at the rooftop of the Nomo Soho Hotel. And I'm getting a few women-led brands to sponsor that as well. So um, going to have a big blowout to celebrate. Um, and yeah, it should be fun. You're getting the invite, of course. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, that sounds awesome. So excited for you. And I cannot wait to read the book. Thank you. My characters <laughs> can't wait to meet you. I <laughs> um, also wanted to ask you, well, I guess on that same thread, like how is that promotional journey, book signing, launch party, like how is that marketing plan of yours like? how do you, I don't know, like, how do you like, just like think like, how's that all work book signing wise? And then, yeah, I guess more marketing. Cause I, I was looking at your, your Instagram and I love how you were like just recently, like in New York city and just at coffee shops, like put, like putting your book uh, in the window. I like, so I love those like approaches, but like, how are you kind of also approaching the lead up the ongoing marketing, I guess, strategy to it. Yeah, definitely in a grassroots way. Um, and I'm not naturally a self-promotional person at all. So I've definitely kind of like had to overcome this 
allergy to it and really remember that I'm trying to get my character stories out there. Like I'm doing it for them. And it sounds crazy because I'm definitely that person who talks to imaginary people in my head, but they are very real to me and they are, you know, kind of on their mission to help empower people to break out of the boxes that they put themselves in. And that's a big theme of the book. Um, so when I kind of remember what I'm doing it for, it really helps me kind of step out of my naturally more shy and introverted side and reach out to people and organizations. Um, and I think, you know, thinking kind of from a target audience segmentation level, kind of who is my, you know, niche target audience. I think women professionals in New York ages 20 to 40, I think are really going to feel seen through that book. Um, and then within that, there's kind of, okay, where do these people naturally gather? Because like we said before, a segment of the world is going to just stumble through their local indie bookstore and that's awesome. But you're not capturing your total addressable market to use my um, Wall Street lingo. And like, how do you kind of reach people and meet them where they are? So that's why I'm partnering with co-working spaces with entrepreneurial communities, women founders collectives, and really trying to kind of just reach out to anyone that is a, from my kind of Dartmouth, from my Goldman Sachs network, from uh, friends of friends and having any kind of warm intro or candidly even just cold emailing. Like I cold emailed Cheryl Sandberg and she, her team actually got back to me um, and, you know, like wants to stay in touch to maybe do um, a Twitter live or something around the launch. And that was just kind of a cool validation of realizing, wait, like a lot of people, um, if you reach them in the right way, and if you kind of make it a personal outreach or share your mission for why you're doing this, people are going to be um, supportive and receptive. But sometimes I think because I'm casting a wide net and I'm trying to kind of partner with a lot of small, smaller communities as well. It does feel like I'm stretching myself a little bit thin. So I kind of have to kind of like center myself on what is the one or two um, wins of the day that I really want to focus on and not, you know, worry about just spending all day reaching out to people because you can easily kind of spend a whole day that way. Definitely. And Another topic that we were kind of chatting about like before the podcast, but um, want to talk more about it. So pursuing a side hustle while you have a full-time job, relatable, because I do the same thing. <laughs> um, would love to hear like more about your tips on this. <laughs> yes. Um I mean, I think I've been reading stats, right? Like more people than ever before are pursuing side hustles. I think there's such a wave of, um, you know, not just doing it for the monetary standpoint, but also really um, pursuing things that more align with our passion and are filling our souls and that we're really finding are giving us energy. But of course, um, it is very difficult to balance. I think I never felt like I had that balance perfect. Like when I was really making progress on my writing stuff and really in flow for my book stuff, candidly, I found it very difficult to stay focused at work and to stay motivated at work that day, maybe because I was really just wanting to jump back into that chapter. 
Um, but I think the way that I segmented my day personally was helpful. So I woke up early and then I would write, I mean, I'm also, I don't have kids yet. So that adds another whole wrinkle that you are, are, um, balancing as well, but I was able to just wake up early and then carve out about two to three hours before work. Um, and I would go the Starbucks across from, uh, my office opened at five 30. So I would get there super early, even on the days when you don't feel quote unquote, like passionate or motivated about it. For me, it was really helpful just to show up. And no matter if I, you know, wrote two paragraphs or 12 pages that day, um, having that routine for me was really how I kind of saw progress over the, the long haul. And though, and then by the end of the day, like I just was so drained mentally that I would just kind of go to the gym after work go home, eat dinner and try to go to bed early. Um, and so that was kind of, I think my sacred time in the morning of just having it be this daily practice that I looked at as importantly as my job. So kind of like I had to have a really good excuse not to go almost as if I was calling in sick for work. Um, and, and I think like there were many times when I thought, okay, is now a time to leap? Is now the time to jump and go all in for my book? But I really wanted to do it in a smart way, like for my career, my finances, my writing stuff. So I waited until I knew that I was going to be having two books come out to then I left um, Goldman Sachs where I worked for six years. Um, I left last month and now I am fully in the authorpreneur life. Um, but I just, I think that there is no such thing as, as perfect balance and kind of knowing like what role you want your day job to play in your life. And then what role you want your side hustle to play. And also to think about, do you want your side hustle to become your full-time job? Like, is that your goal? Or you do you want it to like continue to take up this beautiful space of this outlet for you? Um, I was candidly scared to an extent and still am of making um, writing and all that goes with it, my full-time job, because it had felt like such a beautiful outlet um, and passion before that to an extent I was worried about tainting it mm -hmm. by approaching it with that career-driven mentality with relying on it for my income um, and all of that. So honestly, that's something I'm, I'm still figuring out. Same, <laughs> very <laughs> relatable. <laughs> um. I also wanted to ask about your TED talk and like hearing more about the dating side and how modern dating has turned into deal making. <laughs> so listen yes, more about I mean, this. I can talk for days about this. You'll read the whole 352 pages in the book. Um, but I recently gave a TED talk right before I moved from London and it was called Love is Not a Business Deal. And like you said, it compares how modern dating today has become like deal-making. So kind of since I was living this quote unquote double life, um, Hannah Montana style for six years <laughs> while I was working at um, a big investment bank while writing about modern love on the side, on the one hand, it feels like two completely opposite worlds, right? Because it's finance and romance, like they're very different. Um, 
but it was weird. I kind of thought, wait a second, what's going on? There's actually so much in common between these two worlds and the way that investors are approaching deal-making and their whole diligence process. When I was an investor on the credit and equity side, I was like, this is really similar to how people are evaluating potential dates and going through the dating app where you source, you swipe, you have your due diligence, the committee vote, um, you know, figure out if you cut your losses or invest, close the deal. <laughs> um, and it, it is comical and we kind of have to laugh about it, but I also think there is this really deeper, important um, thing that we kind of need to bring back to society of really reinstating reinstating the heart and humanity into our relationships and dating process, because it can feel so transactional, especially in the app world. And there's so much um, anonymity, but um, I think we really have to separate between uh, dating and deal-making and remember that, you know, one of those is work and one of those is hopefully a very fulfilling uh, relationship with another human being. So that is what I have to say about that. <laughs> I can't wait to check it out and I'll put in the show notes. I know we're kind of recording a little bit early and it's not out yet, but once it is, I will add it to the show notes for everyone to check out. And so before we go into wrap up questions and brunch, I wanted to finally ask like just anything new coming up for you, anything else you want to share with us? So like you mentioned, the, um, my second book will be coming out in 2023. And then this summer, a little bit closer, I'll be doing some book tour stuff with The Heart of the Deal. Um, actually, tonight, right after this, I'm going to the University of Michigan and speaking at the Ross School of Business to the, their Women in Business Club about kind of my career journey, carving your own path, and then how my characters in the book are trying to do the same. Um, so, you know, just kind of look out for if I'm going to be in your area at all for, and I'm doing a lot in New York, um, around the launch in June. And I would just love to connect with, um, you know, individuals or communities of women who are thinking about these themes and how to kind of balance it all and what success really means. So there will be a lot of, um, events coming up this summer that I'm very excited for hopefully um, in a somewhat post-COVID world or at least able to engage in person because I do think there's such good energy, um, especially as I'm a first-time author, just really trying to meet with readers, um, you know, sign personal copies and just form that human connection so I can, you know, keep people along on my journey for hopefully years to come. Is New Jersey in your plans? I have, so what my grandparents live in Lambertville, New Jersey, and I'm doing something there. I don't think I have much in North Jersey lined up, but we can, um, wait, what, remind me where you are. I'm in Orange County, New York, but I was thinking of, so in, yeah, Northern, like um, Bergen County, I think it is, um, in Ridgewood, there's a really popular one called Bookends and tons of signings happen there. Like it's such a small, <laughs> small town, small, um, bookshop and seriously, like so many authors go there. <laughs> and I was just thinking of that one. It's a, it's a hot one. That's awesome. I'm going to write that down. I'll reach out. Definitely. Something to think about. Um, all right. 
Let's talk about brunch. Of course. I mean, that's <laughs> why I came on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first question, what is your all-time like favorite brunch meal? I mean, you could do anything. You're like, what are you eating? What are you drinking? It could be any restaurant or you're cooking something like what's your ideal brunch? So they're both pancakes and they're both in New York and it's a toss up depending on the mood. If I want something that's more of a holistic nourishing meal, I go for the superfood pancake at Tiny's in Tribeca. It's also just this really cute little building. Um, so I'm eating a superfood pancake, which is basically, um, yeah, I don't know, like a pancake with beets and kale and broccoli and a bunch of greens. And that has a poached egg on top, um, some greens on the side, but it's really like, it ha- still has that very, um, it, it's just a really nice blend between sweet and savory because it very much still tastes like a pancake, but you're kind of also getting your other food groups and it's just so addicting. Um, then if I'm really just wanting the indulgent pancake, I go for Bubby's. Um, they're a classic pancake stack and they have a couple locations in New York. Um, and that's kind of like when my friends are proposing brunch, they know to just kind of start with Bubby's as the default. Um, and yeah, so I'm a pancake girl for sure. Have you done Clinton street? No, I haven't. Oh, what? <laughs> all, okay. All of February is like pancake month. They have different flavors. Oh it's gosh. crazy. And their pancakes are great. Oh my gosh. Been living under a rock, but then I also have to say, so the scramblet, which is, um, an invention from the book, but the scramblet is a half a scrambled egg half omelet concoction that the characters in my book cook because they don't know how to properly flip omelets and they actually call themselves the scramblet. So from the literary side of things, my author self is very loyal to the scramblet. And I think I'm going to even put together a recipe for how to cook a scramblet that I'm going to include in some of my um, book boxes and stuff like that. Oh, I love this. I want to recreate it. I'll remix it on, on the gram. We'll, we'll have a, we'll have a scramble at brunch and learn. <laughs> yes. I love that. Um, okay. And again, since it's the brunch and learn podcast, we learned a ton from you today and I wanted to thank you, but flipping it around on you, what is one thing you learned this week? And it could be anything totally random. What'd you learn this week? So my mom and I have been watching the Benjamin Franklin PBS uh, documentary, (laughs) as we do, and um, learned that Ben Franklin also invented this musical instrument called the glass harmonica that Mozart and Beethoven used. And he's just an example of someone who is just so inventive and always looking at everything and thinking of a better way. Um, And I just get a lot of creative inspiration from people like that who don't just stay boxed into one little area, but can be, you know, inventing, discovering electricity in the same beat as inventing this musical instrument. So very inspiring. Very cool. I haven't seen PBS in a while. (laughs) Check that out. Yeah. All right. And finally, where can people find you on the internet and say hi to you? Yes. So you can Instagram. I'm most active on at Lindsay Mac, at Lindsay Mac writing. 
Um, at Twitter, I'm at LK Macmillan. Um, and my website is lindsaymacmillanwriting.com. So send me a note on any of those and I look forward to connecting. Well, thank you again for joining us today, Lindsay. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's been so much fun. Hey friends, virtual hugs for completing another episode of the Brunch and Learn podcast. Did you learn something new this episode? I sure did. If you're loving the podcast, don't shy away from showing your love. Consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to hear more guests and episodes, head over to our website at womenwhobrunch.com for episodes, recipes, blog posts, updates on events, and much more. See you guys soon.